Hello, and welcome to episode 266 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Perfectionism is one of those topics that, at least to me, feels so prevalent and so ingrained that we don't really stop to think about it. But the effects are staggering. And while it might seem like perfectionism is a good thing, it's actually a serious problem that managers need to pay attention to both for themselves and for their team members. But before we dive in, a quick warm welcome to Ann P. and Patrick D. to the Modern Manager community. If you love this podcast and just want to show your support, or maybe you're looking for ways to get even more out of what you're learning, I hope that you will become a member today. Members get extended interviews with my guests so you can get even more from their wisdom, plus my one page of takeaways to help you remember the key ideas that the guests shared. And patron-level members get all kinds of goodies for my guests, like worksheets, discounts, and invites to special events, all designed to help you take what you're learning and put it into action. So check out the membership options starting at $5 a month at themodernmanager.com slash join. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Now today's guest is Thomas Curran. Thomas is a professor of psychology at the London School of Economics and author of a landmark study that the BBC hailed as the first to compare perfectionism across generations. His TED Talk on perfectionism has received more than 3 million views. His research has been featured in media ranging from the Harvard Business Review to New Scientists to CNN, and he's appeared on numerous television and radio programs. Thomas and I talk about, no surprise, perfectionism. He shares the problems that come from being a perfectionist and working in a perfectionist culture, what's really driving perfectionist tendencies, how to identify someone struggling with perfectionism, and of course, what to do to manage perfectionism in yourself and how to help others. Now here's the conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today, Thomas. This is a really interesting topic. We're, we're talking about perfectionism, and it it's one of those things, and I, I love the way you talked about this in your book, that it's like America's favorite flaw, the like in the interview of like, what's one thing, what's your biggest flaw? And just like, oh, well, I'm just a little, I'm a perfectionist, and I really want everything to be so perfect. And like that, it resonated so much when I was reading that and when I was thinking about the role of perfectionism in my own life. And I've never really like dove in to understand what is this thing that we are all, or most of us many, maybe in some way, shape or form are striving for. So I'm super excited to unpack it with you today. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's start with just what perfectionism is, because even this, I think, at least I didn't have a full understanding of this, the complexity of what perfectionism is and where it comes from. So maybe you can start by just laying some groundwork for us around this concept of perfectionism and what it is. So perfectionism really is exactly what you said there in the introduction. I guess modern cultures, modern society's favorite flaw. It's one of the things that we look to as a source of pride, I suppose, in some ways. We know it has some baggage, but on the whole, we see it as a positive personality trait, something that pushes us forward, something that makes us successful. And particularly in this really competitive world, being a perfectionist, I think is something that we look to and admire. However, 
it's not as straightforward as just being something that pushes us forward to come to systems like high standards and striving for really high goals. It also has some baggage, and that baggage comes in the way of self-defeating thoughts, things like self-criticism and harsh judgment of ourselves and other people when things haven't gone quite so well, when we haven't met those perfect standards we set for ourselves or we perhaps set for other people, we can be quite judgmental and critical. So that's really, the, for me anyway, the, the biggest starting point when we're trying to understand what perfectionism is, because yes, it does have these kind of high goals and standards, but it comes with some self-defeating and quite negative thought processes um, that we need to be aware of when we're weighing up whether perfectionism really is this kind of positive trait of thinking. Can you say more about the kind of downsides of perfectionism? Because I think we see, at least in the workplace, the like, oh, you're, you know, you're so attentive to details, right? You never miss a detail and you never screw anything up and like you're giving it 110%. And that all seems really good, <laughs> right? Like as a yeah. manager, you're like, yes, that's the kind of people I want on my team are people who are going to give 100% and work until that presentation is spot on. And so what are some of the downsides of striving in that way for always reaching perfection? So this is this is why we need to be really attentive to that to that more sort of self-defeating, self-critical side of perfectionism, because that's when we start to really understand how it impacts us. Now, there's nothing wrong with being having high standards, there's nothing wrong with being meticulous, there's nothing wrong with really attending to every last detail, as you just said there. But where perfectionism becomes debilitating is in how it fuses those attention to detail to insecurity so people who are conscientious meticulous diligent they are able to do those things and let things go when things haven't gone quite to plan or when something just didn't turn out the way we hope that's a very positive and healthy way to strive a very active and optimistic way to strive perfectionists don't do that when things start to go wrong when they encounter challenge that kind of harsh self-critical element perfectionism is so intense those kind of feelings of guilt shame when we've kind of revealed a weakness or a vulnerability are so intense that it really can hold us back in important ways particularly in the workplace that it kind of makes us avoid difficult situations situations where perhaps we're going to be judged situations where perhaps our efforts aren't going to be met with a success and that's really problematic because if we start to engage in the world with a fear about failure, with a fear about how people are judging us and how we're going to be appraised for our performances, then not only do you start to not see some of those really adaptive behaviours like you know, meticulous attentions to detail, but you actually see the opposite. You actually start to see perfectionists withdraw uh, because they're worried about what it would look like if they didn't do something absolutely perfectly. So... Yes, meticulousness, diligence, conscientiousness, all these things are great, but perfectionism isn't those things. It's at root a deep, deep fear of how we're going to be judged or appraised if things go wrong. And that's why it can be problematic. Yeah, I mean, I think this issue of procrastination or avoidance of things where you don't think you're going to do well. And so you're just like, I just won't do that thing. And then, I mean, I'll speak for myself, right? If I, I'm like, I just won't do that thing. And then when I have to do it and then I don't do well, it's like, well, I didn't give myself enough time. So of course it wasn't going to turn out the way that it should have. And, you know, it's it's kind of this negative cycle. 
I'm wondering if you have some stories or examples from your career or from your clients who, and the way that they were kind of showing up and and distinguishing that perfectionism from a kind of a, a more standard or healthy strive for doing good work, right? So that we can really like start to see how does this look in the workplace? If I'm looking at my colleagues and I'm trying to get a sense of like, who might be struggling with an unhealthy sense of perfectionism and who is just striving to do good work? So there's a really easy way, and this is classic telltale of a perfectionist, is when things go well, when you succeeded, when, I don't know, we've submitted a report that's got good reviews or we've done a presentation that's gone down really well with our end users, stakeholders, and the perfectionists will be pleased, but they won't be over the moon, and their first emotion will be relief. Relief that they didn't screw it up. Relief that it went okay. Relief that essentially it was the outcome that they expected of themselves and that they feel other people expected of them. The person who's not particularly perfectionistic will be able to enjoy that success. They'll be able to see that the effort they put in was met with praise, maybe even a pay rise. And as a consequence, they can let almost sort of drink that in, enjoy it, and really feel the satisfaction from that accomplishment. So if you're in the workplace, I think the biggest telltale is what happens when we meet those moments of success because the perfectionist will be relieved and the people who are conscientious, work hard, strive for excellence, they're the ones who will really feel satisfied and show a lot of delight and happiness in, in the thing that went well. So for me, that's the biggest telltale sign of a perfectionist. And it's really important in those moments, by the way, to make sure that you give them as much encouragement try to get them to see that look at what we've achieved the bigger picture because that's so so important in breaking down those perfectionist dependencies enjoying success is something perfectionists can do oh my gosh i i love that and it's such a great measure to be able to start to assess that and and so obvious right because you you know you give someone praise after they do a good job and you can instantly see their reaction to that what about the opposite are there signals when you give a perfectionist the critical feedback and how you can tell when, you know, from their reaction in that sense, or do we kind of all respond to fe- negative or critical feedback in the same way? No, absolutely. And this is also a, a telltale sign of, of the perfectionist too. They struggle with negative feedback and particularly when they overgeneralize that feedback to themselves. So you tend to see them really take on board that feedback as almost something that's very personal. It's intimately a reflection on them. And this is not the case or people who are less perfectionistic who are able to see, take themselves out of that situation and see that the task or the presentation or the report itself wasn't of a standard. But that that isn't necessarily an indictment on, on them as a person or their abilities to do the task. Perfectionists go, go, go almost the opposite. They really go on themselves and things haven't been one. They blame themselves. They wonder how they could have been so stupid. Why didn't you think of this particular thing that we should have thought about? Why didn't you answer a question in a certain way? Very, it's very intimately personal when it comes to perfectionists in terms of that negative feedback. And again, if you're seeing those things in the people that you work with, it's, it's a telltale sign that they're, they'll be quite highly perfectionist. So if you're noticing these kind of tendencies in yourself, right, that you're maybe always striving to make things perfect and maybe it's coming from a source of feeling insecure or somehow insufficient and therefore you're trying to kind of 
you know, always demonstrate that, yes, you are good enough for this role. You're good enough for this job. You're good enough to lead this team. What are some of the ways that we can start to shift how we think about ourselves so that we we don't run into the the downsides of perfectionism, of kind of over striving and leading into to burnout? There's a few things that I write about in my book that I've kind of picked up over the years that I think are really important to break through perfectionistic thinking on myself. I'm a perfectionist and I've done a lot of things wrong in the past, trying to push through that perfectionism rather than try to work with it, try to manage it, and try as, as much as I can to avoid falling into the perfection trap of not feeling good enough and then worrying about how I'm appearing and how I'm performing to other people. So I think the first thing to say is don't be afraid to show yourself and show up. I, I think this is easier said than done, of course, but challenge your perfectionism in important ways. So if you, if in your minds, are everyone's got their kind of how, who they want the world to see, this kind of idealized version of themselves that you want people to see. Um, and it might be about work, it might be the five star member of staff. You, you give presentations flipplessly, you're always there on time, you're writing the most creative storylines, you're turning in really, really high level work. I think it's important sometimes to challenge that a little bit. And if that idealized version of you is someone that you live in in fear of uh, not showing up as. So that's to say, whenever you don't give a presentation, you feel bad about yourself. If you don't give them a good piece of work, you feel bad about yourself. It's really, really important to make sure you push, challenge that, put out work, send emails that you think are going to be challenging. Put yourself up for presentations where lots of people might be there and maybe judging you perhaps. And just sit with the anxiety concern that those experiences are going to uh, manifest and and it will teach you something I think really important actually about the idealized version that you're trying to project and and ask yourself is that person really worth living in fear for is it really worth be, being so afraid to push myself out there in fear of not being quite this perfect person I have in my mind's eye and so challenging the perfectionism in, in, in important in, in ways that that will help you break through that fear is really, really important. So push yourself out there be present. I think be kind to yourself is another important way to break even if things go wrong and looking at the bigger picture too. So often when something hasn't gone right, maybe you've got a bad performance review, maybe you gave a bad presentation, you, the, the instinct is to go in on ourselves. How could it be so stupid? What was I thinking? I think it's important as most of the kind. You know, you're just a human being and human beings make, make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. But also in that moment, try to zoom out as much as you can and look at your accomplishments and how far you've come. And you know in that moment that this kind of one setback is not an indictment on you or your career. It's not going to ruin your chances of a perfect future, even though in the moment it can sometimes feel like that. But you've come so far. And this is just one setback along a very jagged road of many, many setbacks. So try to use them as learning opportunities and be kind to yourself at all times those are the kind of two big ones there are other things you can do like practice preeminent self-care so make sure you take lots of rest and rejuvenate like really don't work yourself to the bone because rest is so important for productivity so find activities outside of work that are really important for your mental health physical health exercise reading spending time with friends these are really really important don't neglect them they're actually really important, not just in terms of your life, but also in terms of your work. And we know that from um, research 
and also try and avoid the black and white uh, type of thinking. So I must do this. I have to do that. It's got to be perfect. Write those statements down whenever you encounter them and ask yourself, how much do I actually need to do this? Is it a must or is it a could or is it I would like to? And often you'll find that most of the time that it's a lot less black and white than you think it is. So those are the kind of big things that really helped me kind of break through my perfectionism and, and, and all of these things have a lot of evidence for supporting. As you were talking, it was making, it was reminding me of a time when I had, when my kids were much younger and I was being a mom and running a business and volunteering in my community and hosting social events in my home for my community and friends and just doing a ton of stuff. And people would ask me, how do you do it all? And my, my answer would always be not very well. And how it was like this on the one hand, I felt like I was trying to say that, like, I, I'm i not perfect. I'm, I'm not actually doing all these things very well. And I remember at one point making a shift in my own mindset around in, instead of feeling like I'm not doing all these things very well, which is somehow like a, a, a negative in my ability to, like, do all these things, I started shifting to say I do them all good enough, that, like, I'm doing all of these things just good enough that I can do them all and be whole. And that little shift in in how I was thinking about myself and the way that I was showing up in the world made a huge difference. And I became part of, of my mantra for a lot of my work, which is when I look at something, I'm like, is this good enough? And if it's good enough, I am done. <laughs> I am ready to say, I have better things in my life to do than make this better than it needs to be. And it was not easy. I, I'll share one more quick anecdote. When I was in graduate school and we got our first reading assignment, it was like read like seven chapters in this textbook. And I was like freaking out because I, at the time I was not a very fast reader and it was really overwhelming and taking so much time. And I called my sister who had finished business school a few years before and asked her for some tips on how she got through it. And she was like, oh, you don't have to read all of that. And I was like, what do you mean I don't have to read all that? That's what the assignment was. She's like, no, no, no. You'll discover which professors you actually need to do the reading for and which ones you don't. And then you just do it for the ones that you need to do it for. So you don't have to read seven chapters for every single class you're in. Just read the ones that you need to. And it was like shocking to me that you could not do the assignment, that you could just do what's needed and that that would be good enough and you didn't have to like do it all. And I feel like it's these little moments that we can have for ourselves, exactly what you're saying about just being conscious of, do I have to do this? Am I doing this because it's what's expected of me and I feel some obligation to live up to that? But is it necessary? Is there another way that I can approach this that can make me feel good about myself, but also not be overly invested and I think the, as you're saying, like the more that we can find those moments and get comfortable in the fact that we are going to make mistakes and that is just human and that is okay. And we are going to do some things that could have been better, but there were good enough and that is okay. The more we can move ourselves into a, a healthy relationship, I guess a healthy relationship with ourselves and a healthy, healthy relationship with work. Absolutely. And, and I saw in a little bit of research I was doing for your uh, show that one of the things you talk about is optimizing. Um, and 
I think that's so important. There's a very subtle difference between optimizing and maximizing. And perfectionists will try to maximize everything, every little detail at the expense of their health and welfare. But if we were to able to just slightly change that outcome, what's the optimal outcome? Um, I get often asked, wouldn't you want your surgeon or pilot to be a perfectionist? Right? Like these people, it's really important that they don't put a foot wrong. But actually, these people are perfectionists. I think they're very good optimizers. And if we were to have a perfectionist, let's say, in a situation where we've lost an engine on our plane, the worry, the rumination, the, the kind of lack, the rigidity of their mindset when it comes to how things go wrong and worrying about what the consequences are are going to be the absolutely the worst to the person that I want to manage that situation. When you're trying to get a plane down, there is no perfect way to do it, but there are many optimal ways, many different optimal ways. And it's really important that the pilot has a level head and is able to pick one of those optimal ways to get the plane down safely in a crisis. And I think that is exactly why it's so important, particularly in work, that we look to the, what's the optimal outcome? What's the good enough outcome? There may be many routes to that outcome, but it doesn't matter as long as we get there. Because if we maximize and we look after every every little detail, then we never actually get to the end point because we're constantly iterating everything, worrying, procrastinating, avoiding. So it, you're absolutely right. Good enough is good enough. And I, I really like this idea of focusing on what's the optimal outcome rather than the maximum. Yes. I I optimizing is like my my word of my life, I feel like since I've become an adult and and discovered that. Yes, optimizing is often the way to kind of get more of what you want in, in in everything. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about how we might be creating an environment for our team where people might feel the the perfectionist standard. That what might we be doing to create an environment where our colleagues think that good enough isn't actually good enough, that if they deliver something less than perfect, then that's somehow bad. And if we want to shift to create that environment where people can do a great job and it doesn't have to be perfect, what are some of the ways that we can we can make that shift? So highly perfectionistic climates tend to have a couple of things, and mainly they're bound up in this idea of control. So there tends to be a lot of reward contingencies, number one. So essentially, performance is highly correlated with things like pay and status and credentials. And that's very common, very, very common. But what it does is create a culture whereby we kind of come to overemphasize the outcomes and underemphasize ourselves and our development and our growth and our learning, which, by the way, in the long term are far more important um, for growth within companies than uh, just a sole focus on outcome, but you tend to see a lot of organizations and it can create a lot of dependency on making sure that we're in the top 10 by even 1% of employees. And that's so, so tough on a year over year basis. You might make it one year, but doing that consistently is nigh on impossible. And so that kind of high pressure that comes from very performance related outcomes can be really like rocket fuel for perfectionism. Another thing that managers can sometimes inadvertently do to create a dependency on uh, perfection or perfect outcomes is 
to give a lot of attention and praise to perhaps colleagues on the team who are performing particularly well at a particular time and kind of withholding that praise, withholding that positive feedback from other members of the team, that can create a lot of competition and can create a lot of worry among those who aren't necessarily doing as well. There must be something wrong, that for some reason the manager or the leader doesn't value them, doesn't think that their work is up to standard. And again, that can create within a, within a team context a lot of perfectionistic thinking, that I'm, oh, I must do better, I have to improve, I have to sacrifice other areas of my life, otherwise I'm going to fall behind. So these are kind of called cool manipulative, very controlling uh, types of leadership. They get short-term benefits, I'm sure, we see a lot of that, but in the long term, they can be quite damaging, and uh, perfectionism is one of the things that can create problems. Now, a better way to lead and the academic literature anyway, is to provide employees with what's called autonomy support. So this is kind of almost the opposite to control. So that's to give praise, obviously feedback structure, things that employees need to improve, develop and grow. They give it in a very autonomy supported context of giving people input into their goals, input to what, what they think is achievement or success within a particular year and work with them to calibrate those goals so that they're realistic and, by the way, personal to them. Right? Because different people in the team will be at different stages uh, and will have different expectations. And when employees feel like they've had an input there, there's a sense that actually, okay, now I have some kind of control over those outcomes. I know what I need to do. And as long as I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be able to achieve that goal, which means that everybody's happy because we've met the outcomes or expectations. So I think input into those, into performance and making sure it's realistic and goals and outcomes is really super, super important. And also allowing space, space where employees can fail, get setbacks and encounter roadblocks, even just encounter things that are beyond their control, things that might be happening in their personal lives or in the work context, which is impacted on their performance. Space for them to talk about those challenges. Space for them to be able to be open and honest to say, look, I'm struggling here on whatever it might be, and work with them, not around those problems, right? So don't try to avoid them, don't try to ignore them or pretend that they're not there, but to work around those issues as they crop up. And that creates a very important culture of safety. And Amy Evanson talks a lot about psychological safety, and I think it's so, so important in the context of leadership and perfectionism that people feel safe to be vulnerable, to fail, to hit setbacks and talk about them rather than avoid them. So again, that's really, really crucial to breaking through perfectionism. And I suppose the final thing I would say is just allow the employees the time and the space to do things outside of the work context, which are rejuvenating, replenishing, so that when they come into work, they feel energized and vitalized. If we have conscious and context where we're just pushing, 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 pushing all the time, people are going to work themselves to burnout. And we see that in the data all the time. So being really attentive to that, making sure that you encourage time away, time with friends, time with family, time to exercise, uh, encourage them to take the holiday that they're allowed, that they, you know, they're rightfully allowed to take, taking an interest in those things, in one-to-one meetings, asking them about them. and really making it clear that this is something that's encouraged, right? This is something that's really important. We value it. 
um, is also so, so important to kind of try to break down those more obsessive tendencies that patients tend to engage in when it comes to their work. So those are the things that we know are really, really important. And if you can put them into place, you'll have a much more good. Yeah, I, I mean, I love these. And they're, they're so on spot with just creating a healthy workplace in general. And I think the, the thing I want to lift up here is the importance of recognizing when we might be subconsciously reinforcing that perfectionist culture, right? Like there's a, a fine line between when someone goes above and beyond and we want to say thank you. And when we are actually reinforcing that that is the only way to show up, right? And when we can say like, yes, take vacation, but then we work <laughs> all through the vacation. And so we're we're telling them they can take it, but then we're not showing them in, in our own behavior that it's appropriate, right? And so like we need to be kind of both in our words and our actions and consistently demonstrating that good enough and kind of doing what's expected is what you should be doing and that you don't need to always be perfect. You don't need to always go above and beyond. There will be moments when that's called for and then there are plenty of moments when that's not and that we we can be consistently aligned in our messaging and our role modeling. So we have to start to wrap up though because we are running out of time, Thomas. So can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? Absolutely. So this was a very recent experience, actually. I've had loads of, I've been very blessed to have a lot of very, very good um, managers. But there was one manager very recently, I did a short sabbatical in a, in a, in a firm, I won't name the firm, but she was amazing. And from day one, she just took a, interest not just in my professional life but but my personal life and it was really kind of I wasn't expecting it this was a, into the private sector for the first time I worked in academia and I was expecting it to be a bit you know rough and tumble productivity and making sure that we're in on we're in at eight and going at six and all that sort of stuff I thought it'd be really high pressure but she just kind of broke through those myths from day one and it was very clear to me that she understood what good leadership was you looked after people first and that the productivity will follow. So we talked a lot about how we're going to, the goals that we're going to set for, our, for ourselves and how we're going to meet them and whether it's realistic and what were the check-in points and, and a very, very detailed sort of goal-setting discussions. And as I mentioned, there was not just a kind of, this is a professional robot, but, you know, how are you getting on in your personal life? What, what, are you going to be taking opportunities to go away? Where are you going to be? She would tell me a lot about her holidays. It's, it's, as if to say, look, it's okay. Because I'm, I'm the leader of this team and I'm also going away and I'm, I'm taking that time that I need to, to rejuvenate. So that was, that was such an impressive leadership style that really kind of from day one helped, helped me kind of settle into what I thought would be a very, pressurized environment and it was anything but and that's not to say the work wasn't tough and that's not to say that other areas and aspects of that particular firm were very high pressure but but in our particular team where we were she was kind of running counter to that culture all the time and it was such an important and healthy way to manage and it definitely got the best out of me and, and the best out of her team as well so that would be that would be my manager Ah, oh, she sounds amazing. And to do that in a culture that is running opposite is incredible. And where can people learn more about you, get a copy of your book and keep up with your work? So I'm on Twitter. My uh, handle is at Tom underscore Curran, just T-H-O-M underscore Curran, C-R-R-A-N. 
I'm also on LinkedIn. If you just type in Thomas Curran Perfectionism into the LinkedIn search bar, you'll find me there. And I have a book out. It's called The Perfection Trap. It's in stores on August the 8th. So if you're interested in perfectionism and how it impacts our lives, why there's more of it than ever, then do uh, go and grab a copy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with this fabulous and fascinating topic of perfectionism and how we can create more healthy environments for ourselves and for our teams in the workplace. Thank you. Thomas is giving away five copies of his book, The Perfection Trap. To be eligible to receive one of these copies, you must be a patron level member of the Modern Manager community and indicate your interest by August 25th. And don't forget, last week's guest, Emily Field, is giving away five copies of her book, Power to the Middle, Why Managers Hold the Keys to the Future of Work. And patron-level members, you must enter the drawing to receive her book by August 18th. You can enter the drawing for both of these books and get the extended interview in which Thomas and I talk about the link, or lack thereof, between perfectionism and success when you become a member. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join right now. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.